Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in his beautiful new studio set up there at the D. Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame is my esteemed co-host, colleague, and friend, the man who actually turned down the lead role in the Broadway hit musical, Your Arms Too Short to Box with God, <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how Hi, you Deacon. doing, my friend? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that um <laughs> boy, you really blindsided me on that one. You sucker punched me, as you might say. Right? <laughs> I remember that as a kid, uh seeing the television commercials for that. Uh, I, your arms too short to box with God. I've never heard of that before in my life. You never heard of that? No. Yeah, yeah. That was really popular when, uh, Oh well, at least because I grew up in New Jersey, so Broadway was right across the river. Sure. So um they used to air commercials on television at that time for Broadway shows. Yeah. And I remember this one in, in particular, just uh, it was kind of like a revival, kind of a tent revival okay. kind of thing. I'm not sure what the premise of the story was behind it, but I just remember as a kid just enjoying watching the television commercials for it. So that's awesome. <laughs> can't, you can't say I've heard of it, but uh, now now I'm going to have to go look it up. So, hey, speaking <laughs> of looking up, last week we began having a conversation. We were talking about Gregory the Great, Pope St. Gregory the Great and Leo the Great. And uh, we came up with you. You pointed out that there's a third pope that often gets the title, and that's Nicholas the Great, Nicholas the First. And then as we kind of both dove a little deeper into seeing if we could find out about the title, the Great, boy, it's odd enough that it may not be uh, an official title for any of them it more it may be something by popular acclamation or that's just kind of how they get referred to much like with uh, the example i gave last week was john paul the great pope saint john paul ii is called by many certainly many of my friends pope saint john paul the great and so um we don't know. I guess what it comes down to is we don't know for certain if uh, that's an official title or if it's just a an epithet. And if so, uh, we're still encouraging you to when you when you uh, think of John Paul, it's OK to think of him as the great. And we're just going to get this title by popular acclamation. <laughs> so there you uh, go. Yeah, there you go. So a lot yeah. of fun. Well, uh, so last week we talked about Gregory the Great. And this week, you're going to introduce us to a one of perhaps the single most influential father and doctor of the church, uh, bar none. Certainly the guy who gets more quotes in the uh, catechism uh, and has influenced many, many Christian faith traditions, not just the Roman Catholic. So who do we meet tonight, Deacon? St. Augustine of Hippo. Nice. Or just uh, referred to as St. Augustine. Uh, because there's an, another Augustine of, uh, that's uh, a saint, uh, but this is the one that, that wrote the obviously one of the most famous works, not just in the Catholic Church, but in all of literature, the Confessions, mm-hmm. um, a classic work of, of, uh, uh, of Western literature that's read also in many secular colleges and universities at places of higher education as well uh, because of its, its deep spiritual insights. You know, so it's very interesting. Just like St. Thomas Aquinas, is his philosophy is studied in secular environments, not just in the church. You have Augustine, uh, whose writings are also studied, like you said, by many Protestants who who truly admire 
mm-hmm. uh, and respect St. Augustine. You know, it's ve- very interesting how he's a saint that really pulls people together. Uh, extremely intelligent man whose mark, whose uh, deep mark on, on the culture uh, of the West and, in fact, the whole world uh, is still being felt and influenced to this day. In fact, in the Liturgy of the Hours, in the Office of Readings, for the second reading, most of those readings are by St. Augustine. Wow. Uh, St. Augustine, Pope Gregory the Great, um, Leo the Great, th- th- those three have most of the commentaries. And then there's a, obviously there's a number of other guys too. Sure. But uh, Augustine shows up frequently yeah. um, in, this, in those uh, as well. He was born in 354 and lived until 430 A.D. He's considered the father of the church who had the who has the wrote the greatest number of works. Uh, and someone someone said, Well, how much did he write? And actually nobody knows. It's almost it's to, to, to say that I've read all of Augustine, they look at you and say, nah, nah, nah yeah, there's nah. no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, people are trying to figure out because he, he as we'll find out, he got a little he got a late start as a life as a not just as a Catholic, but as a as a prelate, you know, to to write that much while he's bishop of a diocese I and mean, it's just it's just mind-blowing um and again his most famous of those works is the confessions with the focus on you know this interiority psychology you know that's why it has such a mass appeal in the secular world uh as well you know so augustine's influence is just completely uh i mean cannot be measured really it's just it's just absolutely phenomenal um, so Augustine was born uh, in Africa, so he's he's African in uh, Numidia, and his father was a pagan, uh, Patricius, who later became a catechumen. Actually, uh, and his mother was almost as famous as him, Monica. Right. You know, every mother that wants to pray for their child, she was the intercession of Saint Monica, and we'll see why in a second. Man, she was passionate about her faith and and actually she had a tremendous influence on her son um and so what and this is such this is so augustine is so uh meaningful for contemporary families today because so many families are in the same situation here you have a dad who's not really engaged spiritually you have a mom who's doing her best to raise that child in faith bringing her to mass bringing them to mass teaching them the faith being a witness and example um and what happens? What's the result? Well, Augustine says, I've always loved Jesus, but he drifted further and further away from the practices and the faith of the church, which happens, again, to so many right. young people today. I mean, how many parents have I met at parish missions and conferences and retreats? My son is away from the church. I don't know what happened. He went to Catholic school and he went, he got confirmed and he was in youth group and he went to mass with us every week. I don't know what happened. Well, a lot of young people are fans of Jesus and not followers, unfortunately. Now, Augustine as a boy, everybody saw that he had a tremendous intellect. Um, and, and so he mastered Latin perfectly, uh, also learned uh, Greek. And it was in Carthage that uh, the first time that Augustine encountered Cicero, right? Um, and that really helped him to start thinking about faith again. Very interesting because in, in real life, a lot of people think, oh, if I just give my son a catechism, if I just give my son 
a, a Scott Hahn DVD, if I just give my child a, a copy of this Bible, if I just have them hear this talk by Deacon Harold or Ken or something, I know that that will convert them. Well, no. You see, you got to meet, I know it sounds cliche-ish, but you have to meet people where they are. And for mm -hmm. Augustine, where he began to encounter faith was to the writings of Cicero, who's not a Christian. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so he said he he would go on to say this book changed my feelings to the extent that this vain hope of the culture, you know, what the culture was yearning for pleasure and all this stuff, it just became empty to him. So his was the pursuit of philosophy, the pursuit of wisdom, you know, and that really started to move his heart. And really, what it is, is a search and a movement toward truth. Right. It's really it's really that. But but again, that's the seed that was planted by Cicero. Now, um, he had an intellectual appeal to the faith, right, in his head, but eventually moved into his heart. Again, he never stopped believing in Jesus. He, he never became an atheist. Uh, but, but the reason why the Bible didn't appeal to him, he would say, because Jesus' name was not mentioned except in the New Testament. <laughs> so, he, so he starts to read the Bible from the beginning, you know, the Old Testament, there's a lot more books there than the New Testament. Right. You know, and he's not seeing the name Jesus. Everybody's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Where is he in this thing? You know? So he so he got, I mean, just I mean, just think about how real that is, though. Right. You know, well, I want to learn about Jesus. Everybody says read the Bible. Let me read the Bible. Where do you start from? The beginning. Right. You don't start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, just it just it just makes so much sense to how he was thinking. Uh, and where he was in his journey. It just makes so much sense. And even then, most um, people are going to get bogged down in Leviticus anyways. You know, right, so right, never even, Leviticus, they don't what even is this, have you know? a chance to get um, to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So it, he was uh, disappointed. And it, 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 the scriptures didn't seem very satisfying to him. Uh, again, what was he looking at? Wars and all this human weakness he saw in the Old Testament. Um, but he didn't discover the loftiness of philosophy. Or the splendor of the search for truth, which everyone said was part of the Bible. He just didn't see it, you know, um, yet he did not want to live without God. And so he wanted to, the, the, to find a religion that corresponded to his desire for truth at a, at a philosophical, intellectual level, but also would bring him closer to Jesus, of understanding who Jesus is. And so he became, he fell into the net of a, uh, of a um, not a schismatic group, but a a um, heretical group called the Manichaeans, mm -hmm. and the Manichaeans were dualists. So um, they basically believed in two principles: there was the good and evil, right? So the the body was not good, the spirit world was good, um, and so is it's not this Christian, this Catholic integration of the body and the soul. So theology of the body. John, we talk about St. John Paul the Great right. integrates the body and the soul because they see that as constituents of the human person, you know, body and soul together, not apart from each other like the Manichaeans taught, this dualism, this separation of body and, and, and soul from this from the physical and the spiritual, you know, and, but but that appealed to, to Augustine. Uh, there, so this dualistic understanding pleased Augustine because it also fit with the with the way people lived at the time. He thought that people could live better lives if they sought the spiritual to the detriment of the of the physical. So he became convinced that the Manichaeans were correct, 
and um, and that this would satisfy his desire for a synthesis between uh, rational intellectual pursuit of knowledge and the search for truth, uh, which leads to the love of Jesus. So, um, and what, what so what also happened was it the, being a Manichaean, which because they were very popular at that time, you know, it helped boost his career quite frankly, as well. Sure. You know, oh, you're a Manichaean. You're cool. You're, you're one of the cool kids. You're, you know? all, you're in the that end kind club. Of exactly. <laughs> yep. So he was, uh, and okay, so now, again, being very real, this is St. Augustine, this is life. It, it's at this time that he has uh, a relationship with a woman and he's not married to this woman. Uh, okay. And they have a child together. That sounds very familiar to a lot mm. of people listening now. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and he had a, a son, uh, a Deodatus, uh, who which he loved gift very, of very God, much. Hmm? which means gift from God. Yes. Yes. Gift from God. That's right. That's right. Um, and he, he loved this son. Um, and sadly, though, he died uh, early. His son died early. Mm -hmm. um, and so when his son died, he moved away. Uh, to, well, he brought him to Lake Como. And, and actually, that's where we began to be engaged in the dialogues with um uh, uh, well, no, not, he began, he began to more to have deeper dialogues about Manichaeism, and 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 that's when he started having some questions about that. Then he got distracted, obviously, because his son dies. So then he returned to Carthage, and where he became a teacher of rhetoric, uh, and, and quite frankly, a famous teacher of rhetoric. So now at this time, he began to distance himself from the Manichaeans. Um, they disappointed uh, precisely from the intellectual view viewpoint because they were incapable of dispelling his doubts um, uh, that, he, that he still had the questions. They couldn't answer the questions that were really pulling at his heart. You know, he thought that this was the answer, but the, the more he was into it, the more he lived it. And then as a rhetorician, as a teacher, he be, it just was not satisfying. You know, and, and this is what I find today. Um, a lot of parents, when, when the kids get pulled into atheism, ultimately, atheism is unsatisfying. It seems very intellectual because there's some very incredibly intelligent people that are atheists. Mm -hmm. So they have the intellectual appeal. But atheism can never answer why. Right. I mean... It can only treat the, the question core? as it can only treat the question as irrelevant because it doesn't exactly. have an answer of its own. But you can't ignore it. Why? Because that's what the deepest yearning in heart desires and longs for to know why. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I, am I just here to be a cog in a wheel? Am I just a, a a collection of of molecules rearranged differently? There's no difference between me and a chair. It's just a different collection. I mean. That's ultimately unsatisfying, right? You know, but but that's the truth that they purport, but it ultimately leaves you empty. And this is what was happening with Augustine. Um, and then he, he we went to Milan, and he began to hear the preaching of the bishop Ambrose, who later, of course, become Saint Ambrose. And when he heard Ambrose, it was like. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> hold the phone. Hold on a second. <laughs> and, and what was beautiful about Augustine, again, again, parents listening, don't get frustrated. Because remember, Augustine up to this point had basically put in his life with the Manichaeans. It, it was unsatisfying. 
but I mean, he's not sharing this with his mother, right? So some of you, your parents out there, my kids away from the church, but they're also searching for truth. It may take a while, right? Like with Augustine here. So when he started hearing Ambrose and he started hearing his eloquent preaching and he started asking Ambrose questions and Ambrose actually had answers to his questions, which the Manichaeans could not answer. For example, he asked about his difficulty with the Old Testament and a lack of rhetorical beauty. And, and Ambrose resolved that by teaching him biblical typology. <laughs> wow, he went deep. I was like, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I know so many people have come into the church because of biblical typology. When they start to see how things in the Old Testament are connected and fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. So when Ambrose started teaching typology in the interpretation of the Old Testament, Augustine's mind was blown. And he was like, this is the answer that I've been looking for. This, And that was a huge step on his journey back toward Jesus Christ. Um, and so he found in biblical typology the key to understanding the beauty and philosophical depth of the Old Testament, but grasped the whole unity of the mystery of Christ in history. So, so Christ just, this was this just Christ event. There was all this history that preceded and pointed toward Christ as its fulfillment. And Augustine had never experienced that before. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. It makes, because the, the Bible is all, it, yes, it's a, a collection of 73 books, but, um, but it's just really one book that right. tells the story of how God has entered into human history to bring salvation. To mankind and and biblical typology is a part of that and and augustine soon began to realize this allegorical interpretation of scripture uh he combined it with neoplatonic philosophy um enable him to solve these intellectual differences so so again what did john paul ii the great right one of his great uh documents fides et ratio faith and, and reason. reason see so so what appealed to augustine not the dualism of manichaeans that want to separate and divide, right? Body and soul, yes, but even intellect and faith and reason are separate. When Augustine saw that this could be beautifully integrated, that this was beautifully integrated in the Catholic faith, it all began to fall in place for him. And which he, of course, thanked St. Ambrose profusely because um, that, that enabled to solve his problems. So his conversion, uh, to he, you're going to love this, his conversion to Christianity happened on August 15th, 386 is when he was baptized. Nice. <laughs> so for those of you playing along at home, we're actually recording this on August 15th. So it's just it's one of those, you know, mind blowing. Augustine had his mind blown here. I did not know the date of his own conversion and baptism. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Augustine at this point was 32. Wow. When he was baptized by Ambrose. That's right. In the Cathedral of Milan on the 24th of April, 387. So his conversion began on August 15, 386. He was baptized. Because, why? Because that was the, the Easter vigil. Sure. Then. Sure. Uh, 24th of April, uh, 387, at 32 years old. With his mother and his son, because the son had not died yet, his son were both there to witness Augustine uh, become Catholic. Fantastic. You know, that, that's awesome. Yeah. So, look, and I'm, we're not done yet, but but the hope— well, we're going to be done soon, but the hope <laughs> for all you parents out there 
don't lose hope for your children. Yes, God willing, they'll come back to the faith, but it has to be in God's time because God is setting up a foundation in your in your child's heart to have like Augustine where he's going to thrive in the Catholic faith. Right. But he has to learn a few things along the way first. So after his uh, conversion, uh, Augustine went to return to Africa. Uh, but he, on the way back, his mother fell ill. Mm-hmm. St. Monica fell ill and, and died shortly afterward. Um, so he ended up settling in Hippo for the purpose of doing what? Founding a monastery <laughs> on the African coast. He was ordained a priest in 391. And with a few of his companions started to, to uh, uh, start a monastery. Um, but then again, like uh, 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 Gregory, he was called out of the life of monastic life and uh, to be become a bishop of Hippo uh, four years later. So four years after he was ordained a priest, uh, he became a bishop in 395. He had, again, tireless pastoral commitment. He preached several times a week, supported poor and the orphans, uh, supervised the formation of clergy, oversaw monasteries. Uh, so for more than 35 years, he had a vast influence on the church not just in that region, but throughout the entire world, um, which uh, and it helped actually resolve several heresies, Manichaeism, Donatism, Pelagianism, which endangered the faith of the people. He died on August 28th in the year 430, just before he, uh, he turned 76. So, again, just uh, it's, it's homilies and his catechesis still live on in the, in the liturgy of the hour. So, uh, I would encourage you if you you know if you don't delve into the office of readings to open yourself deeply to the writings of Augustine. He has homilies there, but also one of my favorite things after Easter, in in the liturgy of the hours is his post baptismal catechesis, or what's called mystagogy. Yeah, he has some beautiful teachings for brand new Catholics who have just come into the church. Uh, they're wonderful, and the, the, the thing about Augustine too, they're easy to read. Yeah, they're they're not like mind stretching. Like, what is he saying here? This right. this guy's so smart. He's able to communicate at the level of the people. So his homilies and his readings are very very accessible, um, very readable. So again, I would encourage people to 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 have more Augustine in their life. <laughs> I I wholeheartedly support that. I think that's a fantastic suggestion. Augustine is, uh, of course, he has some. There are some great quotes that we often think about uh, when we think of Saint Augustine. I mean, part of uh, one of them, of course, is the story of his kind of opening the scriptures and kind of having his heart convicted, uh, right? Uh, there's the take and read, you know, tole et lege, take up and read, which uh, um, he relates this story in his confessions uh, in which he, he uh, you know, then opens the scriptures and, and discovers uh, the, the line that leads him out of his life of dissipation and his life of, of, kind of following his lusts, you know, make no, put aside the, the ways of the flesh, make no provision for the ways of the flesh, you know, but, but put on the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then of course the great quote, which kind of goes with that is his prayer, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet, because he didn't really <laughs> want to be, you know, a, a, a man of holiness. He didn't want to give up his, his, you know, carnal pursuits, but at the same time, his heart was convicted. And his heart was drawing him. God was drawing him ever nearer uh, to himself. And uh, and we, the church, have benefited for centuries ever since then. 
great doctrines associated with St. Augustine, of course. Uh, his understanding of the concept of original sin uh, influences and continues to influence, and, and we understand, uh, you know, kind of theology, our relationship to God, soteriology, how Christ saves, all of these sorts of things which Augustine struggled with, and you can read it in his homilies, but he then explains so clearly and so uh, approachably uh, for those of us who are not deep theologians. Um, Augustine is a great, great gift. Uh, and you can read his, his homilies profitably. And then there is, of course, as you said, typology. Biblical typology is so present in uh, the writing and the, the preaching of St. Augustine, and it continues to have influence on how we read the scriptures today. And so, so grateful for the gift of St. Augustine of Hippo. I got to ask, though, Hippo, what, um, does Hippo exist today, or is his diocese kind of one of those that's, that's gone no, away? No, it's one of the ones that's suppressed. Yeah. Okay. Um, unfortunately, remember, all that area in North Africa was, was definitely Catholic. Uh, there's no question about it. But uh, again, during the, um, the, the, the Muslim invasions in the, in the uh, late 6th, early 7th centuries, I'd say 7th, early uh, uh, eight centuries that uh, a lot of that was overrun and, and sure. our, our Muslim areas now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the reasons for the um, Crusades was to try to, 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 to take back those areas that were overrun. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, Deacon, thank you so much for introducing us to the great Augustine of Hippo, father and doctor of the church. Well, doctor of the church, one of the greatest doctors of the church, along with his own teacher, Ambrose, and uh, somebody that he interacted with, of course, Jerome as well. Uh, so much to, uh, you know, so many saints. And then the great Monica, St. Monica herself, who I've had the pleasure of praying at her tomb, which is in, in Rome, uh, just around the corner from the uh, Pontifical University of Santa Croce. It's right, right there. So just off Piazza Navona, if you're next time you're in Rome, you can go visit St. Monica and pray for the conversion of your uh, relatives, friends, people who are dear yes. to you, who, who too, like, like St. Augustine, can be touched by grace and, uh, and go on that long journey back to, back to eternal life. So thank you for introducing Don't us. Don't ever give up hope. Yeah. Never give up hope. Exactly. Well, friends, you can connect with us on Living Stones Media on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media. You can download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. What I just said made any sense. So, Aaron, I'm going to have you cut all of that portion out. And uh, so I'll jump back to that. Uh, I, I've entirely lost my train of thought, Deacon. I apologize.